So just a word for the younger ones among us. Have you enjoyed going around and seeing all the lights up on homes in your neighborhood? I noticed driving in tonight, there were a few along 19th Avenue. There are a few uh, here and there in the city. There are a lot in my neighborhood in South San Francisco. And so a lot of people are putting lights on their house. We've got lights here in the church. So you can't see the candles on the altar, I know, but maybe you can see the candles behind me. We have candles here. I have candles at home. I have a tree at home with lights on. People like to put lights on things or light candles or light up their space this time of year. And particularly, it has a lot to do with the fact that this time of year, it gets so dark so early, right? It's, uh, it's hard to see sometimes without the extra lights, but it's also a little bit symbolic. Sometimes we think of the darkness, not just the fact that the sun is no longer up and shining, but we think of darkness as being when the world is in trouble or when we're troubled. We sometimes talk about that as being in a dark place. And so the prophet Isaiah, years and years and years before Jesus was born, talked about how there would be this light that would come into the world and help the people see more clearly. And um, it was very encouraging for the people. He said it something like this, God is making things better. It's like when we've been wandering in the dark, but now light is all around us and we can see our way again. So when Jesus was born, a lot of people in Jesus' day said he was really the light of the world who helped us see more clearly in this darkened world how things ought to be that God was with us, that God loves us, and that God wants us to love one another and to be a light in this dark world for others to see Christ through us. So that's one of the reasons why we have the words from Isaiah tonight, as well as this wonderful story about the birth of Jesus and the angels coming to the shepherds and Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem with their new baby. But tonight, what I'd love for you to do is to remember that Jesus is the light of the world. And maybe if you have a candle around, when it comes time for that in our worship service, we can actually light a candle to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. Thank you very much. And now thinking about our, all of our folks, uh, there's a great line that some of us know, maybe some of us say every day, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Protestant Christians sometimes are a little reluctant to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
because the center of the entire nativity story is Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the object of God's planning and humanity's longing. But the center of the nativity story, Jesus, on this night, is being held in loving motherly arms. There is something about Mary that still calls for our attention. For centuries, Christians from many lands and cultures and races have come together to listen to Luke's recounting of the birth of Jesus. And it's a great story. And I'm glad we tell it year after year. And it's told simply enough to be understood, but there's enough color or characterization in it that it can envelop the listener. In fact, visual artists have been painting exquisite pictures based on this text for hundreds and thousands of years. And musicians have set these words to music that can reach the very depths of our soul. We see Mary in our mind's eye and perhaps we even hear her singing a little bit of a lullaby tonight, and that's not a bad thing. And theologians have interpreted Luke's text so that there is a common agreement among them that this is far more than just the retelling of an ancient birth story. This is a chapter in salvation history. Jesus' birth is another step in God's plan to redeem the world. And this creative, redemptive, faith-nurturing God chose to surprise Earth's citizens by entering into human form and living as one among us. Bethlehem angels, shepherds, a manger full of animals, the right time, and finally the baby Jesus' birth is a chapter of that great new book that could be entitled How God Chose to Save the World. And Mary is certainly present in this chapter. Mary is a significant participant in the story, although, again, God is the central figure. God initiates and we humans respond. And so Mary, as one of the humans of the world, is responding. But if any of us were asking the question, what would we do now that we know that God is indeed redeeming the world? We might not know what to do or say, but Mary's reaction to this question is worthy of our attention. God is acting and Mary is teaching us how to respond. So what did she teach us? What is she trying to tell us? The key is that Mary pondered these things. It says in Luke, she treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds lingered near this newly made family and told them about seeing angels and hearing beautiful music and knowing that God had directed them to this out of the way place. 
Mary kept quiet and pondered what they had said to her. Earlier, even an angel visited with her with the announcement that she would have a child and that this child would be named Jesus and he would be destined to become the savior of the world. And at that time, Mary also pondered. Later, she would sing about this event to her relative Elizabeth, but twice in the presence of angelic visitations and messages, she quietly considered the content of the words that she heard, thought them through deeply, and allowed these words to take hold of her heart and of her mind. Mary was a good ponderer. Perhaps there are other descriptive words about Mary's response to God's word. Maybe we would call her thoughtful or reflective or meditative. Maybe she was the embodiment of a contemplative soul. Some of her detractors might call her a daydreamer or a time waster because they can't deal with pondering and meditation and reflection. In fact, there are a lot of people in this world that are so strident, angry religious voices in today's world. And sometimes I wonder if they ponder what God's message is. God is named and proclaimed by religious leaders with thinly pursed lips, eyes filled with fire and fear, a voice loud and angry, jaws clenched with rage, and fists pounding on a table or an altar or a pulpit. And sometimes I have a hard time finding their words credible. Extremist fundamentalist leaders are not the sole property of Islam as some of our news media would lead us to believe. Christian voices that demean other faiths, that condemn any who differ from themselves, who see compromise and understanding as a vocabulary of evil, who seem to know way too confidently that our nation is destined to be the executors of God's judgment. These voices frighten me a lot with their assumed familiarity of God's will. I think rather our world needs thoughtful Christians who would ponder the scriptures and the events of today's world in light of the redemptive, grace-filled revelation of Jesus Christ. Our world needs those actively seeking justice provided that they are rooted in contemplative practice, having immersed themselves in worship and prayer. Our world needs those who can speak with reasoned, credible voices in a civil matter. My suspicions are easily aroused when someone or anyone knows too exactly what God's will is. So Mary can be our mentor when it comes to pondering things that are even mystery. The pondering heart acknowledges a shortage of understanding, but can wait and is willing to live with mystery, 
to be silent in the face of things that cannot be explained. We'll refrain from quick pronouncements concerning the good and gracious will of God. From older languages, the word for meditate or contemplate actually come from the same root word as that which describes a cow or a camel chewing the cud. To ponder a word is to spend time with it, to chew on it, to extract the life-giving meaning from it. And so tonight we see that Mary chewed on the words of the shepherds and the angels. Many sense their faith being renewed at this time of year. Christmas can do that. Many people have told me that in the midst of this pandemic, they are returning to the basics in prayer and meditation, and they're also being renewed in ways that they never thought imaginable. The light in the darkness, the holy family in humble surroundings, the unexpected experience of another's generosity can cause us to be vulnerable to God's grace and mercy in new ways. And if that's all happening to you this year or in this moment, let your time of renewal take you deeper into the study of scripture, into the practices of prayer, into acts of mercy and kindness and generosity. It's okay to let your hearts be softened a little bit or your spirit kindled a lot by the message of this news that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It's okay to let your soul gently be formed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let your mind be fruitful soil for the hard work of pondering, becoming thoughtful, becoming contemplative. That miraculous night centuries ago saw heaven and earth meet together in a small Jewish town in the Roman Empire. An angel spoke to shepherds, and a chorus of angels presented them with a divine anthem, and a common birth was announced as holy. The Messiah had come to earth in the form of a baby, and this sign from God entered human existence through the likes of regular people, Mary and Joseph. Another reason why this story is so wonderful. So tonight, remember how the mother of this Christmas child responded. Mary treasured the words from God, pondered them in her heart. Will the hearing of this story and the contemplative response of Mary invite you to ponder? I hope so. And a blessed Christmas to you all. Amen. <laughs>